0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome. You are listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88, depending on where you are in the wonderful country of Australia. This is The Breakfast Show. You are with Lyle and...
1: Mon. And it is Anzac Day. It is Anzac Day, kind of. No,
0: okay. Kind of. Kind of Anzac Day. (laughs) We
1: are living in Anzac Day right now. Okay. But... You're not. We are. Listeners, dear listeners. You're not. You're listening to the delayed broadcast, Uh. which means although we are broadcasting on Anzate Day, you are listening to this a bit late.
0: Okay, so if you think it's kind of weird and it's like, okay, why are they talking about Anzac Day today? <laughs> did I miss something? Did I, was yesterday just a dream? No, it wasn't just a dream. It actually <laughs> really happened. You did have a day off yesterday and possibly went to the dawn service yesterday. Mm-hmm. And yes, we are talking about it today, but that's because we talked about it yesterday. Has but, that got you confused yet?
1: I'm sure they're fine, but... Uh-huh. I mean, they did did have a day off yesterday. Their heads should be clear. But do you know what? It's not the end of the story. You can actually cross over and join us on the live show. Please do. Which really is happening today, today. There you go. It's very easy to do it. How do they do it live? Oh, well, you won't
0: feel feel kind of left out and... uh Like, wait a minute, what's going on here kind of attitude. Um, Because if you have been listening to the delayed broadcast, you might be thinking, you know, Lila and mine are always a little bit behind the times on their news stories. (laughs) No, we are not behind the times. Our news stories are always fresh if you listen to the live show on faithfm.com.au or by using the TuneIn app. Get the free version on your phone Mm. or mobile device.
1: It's very easy. All you have to do is um, search for Faith FM Australia. And press play,
0: and you get a perfect signal everywhere you go.
1: Everywhere on the planet, Rotary three, stereo while you're driving.
0: Signal. It's the best way to listen to mm, it. Absolutely. it. I listen to Faith FM via the TuneIn app. That's how I listen to it.
1: You can even just Bluetooth it around. It's great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So, what are we talking about today?
1: Well, we have a great show. We have some guest appearances. Actually, some very important guests, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be sharing a little bit of their stories. It's a very interesting. Show. We also have an amazing so we've got giveaway. So, a
0: Vietnam vet- veteran we coming do, in to indeed. talk about. Um, yep what it was like to be an active soldier and be shelled and attacked and so forth um, in Vietnam we've got a we've got somebody coming in and talking about experiences during the second world war that's going back a few years
1: that is rather yeah mm. but um you know, it's, i think these stories are important that we don't forget that you know what, war isn't always necessarily worth it and the, the effects are long-lasting. I mean, we'll be very careful about when we decide to go And further.
0: we're going to point, out, point you all to the Prince of Peace.
1: Indeed. And the return of Jesus
0: Christ when he's coming back to bring an end to all wars. The
1: comforter. Is he real or is he a character trait? Absolutely. Mm. So stay tuned.
0: We've got more great programming coming up right after this. Lots of good music as always on Faith FM.
2: Lightly beams our Father's mercy from His house evermore, but to us.
0: Listening to Sandra Enderman. Let the lower lights be burning with a tribute to all of our Navy personnel uh, who are serving both here in Australia and overseas at this particular time on Anzac Day. Now, Monica, you know what I've noticed re- recently, which I think is a really, really good thing on Anzac Day? Why? Well, of course, Anzac Day, we remember the, uh, particularly mm-hmm. the Australian and New Zealand uh, forces that uh, have served around the world. But there was a uh, – I was reading a, an article yesterday about how that on many of the locations around Australia where our allies have had bases, Anzac Day celebrations are taking place. One in particular was the American Submarine Base in Brisbane. Oh, And they have a whole Anzac Day service that takes place there where they remember all of the American personnel who served here in Australia and uh, and honour them for the, the, the sacrifice that they made.
1: Is that why there's a man with a funny accent sitting next to me?
0: That's why there's a man <laughs> with a funny accent sitting right next to you right now. I thought we would, for our Anzac Day uh, uh, special today, invite an American uh, veteran to come and join us. And Carl, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so so good to uh, to have you as a part of our program today. Now, Carl, um, you're a veteran. Whereabouts did you serve?
3: I served in Da Nang, Vietnam. And uh, what was your what what unit were you a part of? You were. Uh, uh, I was with First Logistical Command. Um, uh, we were stationed right next to a helicopter pad, and we were hit every day. Throughout the day and the evening.
0: When you say you were hit every day, this was... uh, Attacked. Attacked attacked every day. Uh, uh,
3: They tried to uh, diminish our ability to have uh, airstrikes. So the helicopters would come in and go out. Mm -hmm. So we were a target, a prime target target. to to take down out of operation. So Mm -hmm. every day uh, we had to do battle.
0: Now, what... What I- exactly whereabouts in Vietnam was this? If we look at Vietnam, if we think of Vietnam, it's a it's a long thin country going from north to south.
3: Right, we were in on the north uh, tip edge uh, near the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were right up there where the uh, wh- wh- where the action was yes, taking place. Yes. How long were you in Vietnam for? Twelve months. Uh, at that time, uh, when you were drafted, it was a. Uh, 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 two years that you had to serve mm-hmm. and one year uh, of your service was in Vietnam, mm-hmm. so we were drafted uh, we were sent to boot camp for training and if you had a specialty, you were sent to a a, a personal individualized boot camp and then right after that, they would send you uh right right into Vietnam mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, w- working in logistics, that means that you are working with uh, supply lines, keeping the supply lines. Right,
3: right. We made sure the ammo and the bombs and the food and everything uh, was available. And uh, we uh, we did what we were told to do. You mm-hmm. might have had a certain assignment, mm-hmm. but if something happened, uh, you were first of all combat soldier sure so if they needed uh prisoners guarded if they needed you on guard duty if they needed you uh at the perimeter to help guard the base uh, wherever you were needed that's where you would go mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. now with the um you're working on the on the helicopter base there were you primarily loading or unloading or both or um, how does that, how was that, how were you actually um, working with the Right, we made
3: sure that uh, whatever supplies were needed, mm-hmm. uh, the troops had their supplies. Sure. Yeah. Uh, if there were injured soldiers uh, coming back in, uh, we would assist and aid in every function and every aspect of what was needed mm-hmm. uh, during the time.
0: Now, when you say that you were attacked on a daily basis, what form did these attacks come in? Were well, so they shelling you or were they? They I, were
3: shelling us, mainly shelling us. Uh, yeah. uh, there was a, a degree of harassment that they used. It was guerrilla warfare. We mm-hmm. didn't have a, uh, a, a group of uh, soldiers standing across from us. It was primarily uh, the art of surprise, surprise right. attack. So they would hit and run, and they would hit and run. So we would go into high alert. And uh, most times we couldn't find them, Mm -hmm. and then they would hit again and run. And then there were different tactics we used to try to seek them out uh, with the helicopters to see if we could identify where they were. And if we could identify where they were, uh, we would then move in on them. Mm. But uh, most of the time it was shelling, and uh, sometimes it was an actual uh, onslaught of soldiers that tried to overtake the base sure sure mm-hmm. sure
0: yeah now um I imagine that there would be some um some dramatic experiences that would have would have taken place at that particular time um friends and so forth that were um wounded and lost
3: yes unfortunately, uh during the Vietnam War, I think there were somewhere around sixty up to sixty thousand soldiers Mm. from the states in uh, Australia New Zealand and other places that lost their lives and unfortunately um, there was a lot of injuries that were not uh, treated as uh, they didn't count if you lost two arms and a leg uh, that was not counted as a a corpse of course you were still alive but uh, people lost limbs and Mm. Uh, there were so the death toll doesn't really tell the whole story it, that doesn't tell the whole story there's it, it, no way they could uh, qualify the amount of damage that were that was done to men uh, psychologically physically uh, it just war uh, has has a way to tear at your core mm. you can imagine me leaving high school and then going into uh, a combat situation I'm an innocent teenager that uh, was playing basketball one day and uh, trying to court a little girlfriend, and the next thing I know, I'm in a live combat situation with a weapon in my hand being told to kill the enemy. Mm. There's no way you can prepare for that. There's no way you can process that. Uh, You just try to manage it and survive uh, to the best of your ability, but things happen that had nothing to do with the war itself in Vietnam, innocent lives were taken. Uh, uh, There were situations where the South Vietnamese, which we were working uh, on their side, Mm -hmm. they turned against us because they had families that were being held hostage by the North Vietnamese. And they were told that if you didn't carry out a certain mission or try to uh, through being a, sti- a sniper or whatever else uh, killed the the U.S. soldiers, they would kill their families that were being held hostage in, mm. in on the north side. So we were not only fighting against the north Vietnamese, we didn't know which of the south Vietnamese were our true friends because of these different dynamics. Mm, mm, mm. That must have been, yeah, just really um –
0: quite a stressful situation um to be able to deal with how many how many uh on your base how many how many um people were serving on your base we
3: might have had uh, several hundred mm-hmm. uh, on the base uh, we were located on and um you know we had uh people that would uh go out um on a medical mission uh people would go out for different purposes that had nothing to do with the war. They had to write symbols and everything uh showing they were on a peace peace mission true sure. and it didn't matter. I know you had uh, different codes of war uh but we had uh some folk that were killed that had nothing uh to really do with the war so uh it, it was just an element of you can die at any minute mm. that haunted you. Uh, throughout the day, throughout the night. And it, it was a uh, unnerving uh, and horrible experience, to mm. say the least. How old were you when you were drafted? I was uh, around 19. That was right. about 50 years ago. I'll be 70 years old next month. Oh,
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. well, Congratulations. Yeah, you. yeah, yeah thank you much. Certainly, thank you certainly
3: much. looking younger than that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I cherish life. And... Uh, it, it it's something about the experience over there that it seems fresh. Uh, it's, 50, it's been 50 years, but in my mind, I can see things as if it were uh, yesterday or this morning. Hmm. Hmm. So it's, uh, it's an interesting dynamic um, Yeah, uh, serving there. There's, uh, there's,
0: there's a number of questions that are sort of right on the tip of my tongue now that um, I'd still like to ask, but we do have to go to a song break. And uh, I know Mon's got some questions that she's sort of sitting there Mm -hmm. itching to ask. And so um, we're going to be back um, to talk with you more about this. And I particularly want to hear about, you know, what you've done since then and your work with veterans um, since, since you were in the Vietnam War. But at this time, we're going, to, we're going to listen to a song that is a uh, particularly relevant song for this time of year, something that will be sung at many Anzac Day ceremonies. This is Andy McLeod with Abide With Me. Anna McLeod with uh, Abide With Me here on Faith FM and, and this morning we have our Anzac Day special We have uh, Carl who has come to join us who served in Vietnam with the American forces. And it's always good to remember our allies on Anzac Day. And so we decided to do something a little bit different today and have one of our allies here, an American uh, veteran from Vietnam. And, uh, Carl, we're so glad that you're able to join us. Uh, yeah, we, we had some questions that um, I didn't get a chance to ask you before we took that break. Uh, when, you were in, when you were in Vietnam, did you ever run into other Australians in Vietnam when you were serving there? Uh,
3: not that I can recall. OK, um, uh, it was people always coming in and out and things were happening at such a rapid uh, pace. I, I, I cannot recall. Sure. Uh, but fortunately, I, I was at a meeting here in Australia uh, one evening and it was a gentleman uh, from this country that was a, a helicopter pilot. Mm -hmm. and helicopters were crucial uh, in Vietnam and in in the conflict and I had the opportunity to thank him I didn't know him and uh, of course if I'm on the ground you you know there's no communication with us in helicopter pilots but I had the opportunity to say thank you Mm -hmm. to uh, someone that possibly could have saved my life and that was a unique experience to come in contact with someone that was in the air. Sure. So whether you were in the air uh, or uh, on the sea or on the ground, every component uh, played a part in keeping each other alive. Mm, mm. So we, I appreciate that. Uh,
0: and, of course, we should give a uh, shout-out to our New Zealand Um, allies at this particular time as well because they had some of the greatest helicopter pilots in
3: the Vietnam War. That's all right. Well thank you so much. If you served I want to say thank you. It was an honour and pleasure. Well not a pleasure but it was an honour to serve side by side uh, with Australia New Zealand forces and I took part in a ceremony this morning. It was a a very touching ceremony of veterans and families of lost soldiers and it was just a beautiful ceremony and I have a uh, I think it's rosemary yes. uh, stem <clears throat> and it was given to me and they said it represents uh, remembering uh, the fallen soldiers mm. and I think the theme this morning was uh, lest we forget so it was a moving service this morning it was well attended in the rain and uh, you know brought tears to my eyes as some of the children Uh, We were reflecting on their parents or grandparents and they started crying about tears in my eyes as well so it's still fresh though it was many many years ago sure sure and of course we still have
0: um, servicemen and women from both of our countries that are serving right now in dangerous parts of the world in war zones and we need to be remembering them uh, particularly on this day and on a daily basis to pray for them and to pray for their safety and uh just, just a, another question I wanted to ask was that um were you ever wounded uh while serving in Vietnam?
3: I was never wounded uh while serving in Vietnam. I was injured in during combat training and I thought that might exempt me from going to Vietnam, but during that time they needed every everybody mm-hmm. uh in the war zone. So I actually went to Vietnam with a with an injury to my right leg uh from combat training right and then it worsened and while i was there uh it it uh it was getting worse but uh, for some odd reason they didn't give you many excuses to leave if you uh, didn't have a a wound uh, that just completely disabled you Mm -hmm. Uh, minor injuries you had to go on so i served i went through the the, the entire conflict and a few days after I was out, uh, I had surgery on my right leg for an injury that mm-hmm. had received in basic training before I even got there and it was aggravated and uh, the surgery was somewhat successful but they had to go back in again. So uh, at this time I, I, I am a, I do have disabilities, physical and mental disabilities from the Vietnam. Uh, sure. Conflict,
0: yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we often overlook is that not all wounds uh, received in um, in a war zone are physical wounds, but there are emotional wounds mm. as well. And um, have you ever had opportunity to, um, you know, to, to to work with other people that? Um, I, I understand you work with people dealing with um, post traumatic stress and those kind of things.
3: Yes, yes. The unfortunate thing uh, about uh, the Vietnam conflict and some of the early conflicts is that once you left the conflict uh, zone and you went back home, there was no services. There were no services available to you. Mm -hmm. I literally processed out of Vietnam and I I was sent back home. I got off the airplane and that was the end of it. There was no evaluations. There were no follow-ups. There were no two-year, five-year check-in. I was just dropped off back. I'm originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I was dropped back off in my community and left to to fend for myself. And unfortunately, uh, I went into a heavy uh, drinking period for almost three years of my life uh, trying to uh, suppress the pain and the Mm. memories from Vietnam. And it wasn't until almost 35 years later that I started receiving any kind of uh, medical uh, treatment or examinations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was going through life with issues, thinking it was just life. Yeah. yeah. When actually uh, uh, a lot of what I was uh, suffering from was directly related to the conflict, but... I'm not a physician. I couldn't diagnose myself. And it happens with so many soldiers. You still have soldiers today that are not receiving any kind of treatment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, There's there's an attitude that a lot of soldiers have that once you, you left the conflict zone, you didn't want anything to do with the military, anything to do with the Veterans Administration, anything to do with anything that resembled or reminded you of what you had gone through. So some of the the, uh, resources and services that were available were never taken advantage of because of the state of mind uh, some of us had uh, after we left the war zone. How important to you is your faith in God or how
0: important to you, you know, was your faith in God in being able to work your way through some of these issues? And you you said you were an alcoholic for. For three years And to, you know, to overcome those kinds of issues
3: Yeah well I, I have an interesting story um, uh, Fortunately I was able to meet uh, Some good people along the way And I was able to eventually uh, Get a job with the gentleman That owned his own business And I met some positive uh, individuals there And then that led me to another job As I started to, to Make the adjustment and it was a lady on my job that kept uh, sharing her faith with me. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't interested at the time at all. But her uh, sharing her faith led me to visit her church one day. Mm-hmm. And I only went there to to get her out of my life, really. I, I said to myself, <laughs> if, I, if I visit her church, maybe she'll leave me alone. Uh-huh. Okay, So I went to the church, and I was looking for her. I couldn't find her, and before I knew it, the choir came in singing. The preacher got up to preach. No one knew I was there. And it seemed as though he was preaching a sermon about my autobiography. Right. And I was greatly touched. And I took my stand. He made an appeal. Mm-hmm. And I took my stand to mm-hmm. to be baptized. And I was baptized seven days later. Mm. And, of course, uh, I w- I w- my conversion experience I don't even know how it happened to, to to this date. All I know is that I was in an environment uh, and something came over me. I describe it as I felt like my skeletal system was melting inside of my body and evidently I was yearning for something and I, I didn't realize what was going on, but I took my stand, I, I, I had Bible studies, and that catapulted me into a whole completely different direction when I found myself surrounded with faith believers, uh, uh, devoted uh, Christians that were encouragers and uh, comforters and I just found so much love and so much peace and so much happiness. So I was able to start to clear my mind and realize that there was a a lot of beauty Mm -hmm. uh, in in the world as well as the horrors that I had experienced. And it started, I got sober and I was converted and here I am almost 40 years later Praise God uh, Clean and praising God Yeah, amen Thank you so much for sharing um, your testimony
0: and your story And what God has done in your life In helping you deal with the, the horrors of war and, uh, and being able to come on the radio this morning It's been a privilege having you uh, part, And thank you for your service uh, you. We're going to listen to human nature at this particular time People get ready <laughs>
4: There's a train a comin'. You don't need no baggage, and just to get on board, all you need is faith under oh, the diesel. Home. You don't need no ticket, no, no. Just
2: thank the Lord.
4: Done in no a baggage, and just to get on board, all you need is some faith to hear the diesel humming. you do done in a ticket, and just thank the Lord. And people get ready for the train. Open the doors and bottom this room
0: Everybody, you're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 and 88 Depending on where you are here in Australia We have right here in the studio for our Anzac Day special None other than Pastor John Kosmire, Who is going to share us some stories uh, from the Second World War And the times immediately after the Second World War Now, with a name like Cosmeyer Whereabouts does your family come from, John?
5: Our family history goes back We can trace it back as far as 16 20, okay, that's a ways back. Yes, and it came from Westphalia in Germany, uh-huh. and then one of the cosmos decided that he'd start a life of his own in the northern part of Holland. Okay. In uh, the area of the uh, province of Groningen. Right. And so 200 years later. There you were. And, uh, well, actually, it's 300 years later I turned up. Okay. Now, when you turned up, at what stage was the war? My mum and dad were actually born – married, I mean – two days after war was declared between Germany and Holland. Oh, my. And then I was born uh, 15 months later. So I was actually 1941 baby. Yep. So – uh, you're born in '41. The war isn't ending
0: for a number of years later. That's really going back to the early days of your existence. Do you have memories of the First World? Oh, sorry, of the Second World War.
5: I do, but that's not until 1945. Sure. Um, but things happen that I know about because we have pictures of them. Yeah. And uh, and Dad filled me in on. Yeah. Why that p- particular picture was taken? So. so, what was
0: it like for your parents as a newly married couple? Then, uh, you know, the, the the at the start of the Second World War, it's all just
5: sort of happening right around them. Obviously, they survived. The actual fighting in Holland only took five days because yep. Holland's the so, uh, the country of Holland is the size of one third of the size of Victoria.
0: <laughs> it's hard for us here in Australia to get our heads around such small countries when and we. And so, live in such when a large the continent. German.
5: Panzer divisions were still brand new. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just rolled across the border, and that was it. Yeah. And as a result... So uh, it was almost like
0: an occupation rather than... It was an
5: occupation straight in. Yeah. And then, of course, the Dutch had to settle down under the new rulership, and it became very difficult, Mm -hmm. especially when the Germans started running out of materials and men. And so they would get men from Holland to go to Germany and work in order to uh, produce what was needed for their fighting in the war. And my uncle, who was a, um, an administrator in the hospital mm-hmm. sections in a place called Lewadden, he said to my father, he said, look, Abbott, he said, you go and get yourself a job in a hospital. So my dad went to work in a mental hospital mm-hmm. uh, because it was most unlikely that they would be taken to the work camps. Right. So my dad actually... Um, He was never sent to Germany. Your uncle, your
0: uncle, your uncle is.
5: And they had taken an X-ray of him when he was supposed to become uh, one of the uh, conscripts in Holland, and they discovered there was a a spot on his lung, so he wasn't eligible to serve in the war, neither. Right. Whereas my uncle was. Okay. um, But when he uh, was called up, he said, "I am a Seventh Day Adventist." And I'm a non-combatant.
0: Okay, so your family were Christians at, at at this time.
5: We have been Seventh-day Adventist Christians since
0: 1911. Oh my! Okay. So you're looking at a hundred, <laughs> <Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs>
5: and. Uh, oh, and I should I should years. mention
0: I should mention to many of our listeners that um, that last year my co-host here was Shana Kosmeyer, who is your granddaughter.
5: Absolutely.
0: And how many generations of Adventist is
5: that? I think. She makes number six. There you go. On both sides of her family. My wife is also uh, the fifth generation of Adventists. Yeah, fantastic. So that's six, that's seven, yeah.
0: So your uncle then, he
5: is a non-combatant? Yep.
0: How does that go for him?
5: It was terrible Mm. because non-combatancy was not recognised at that time and the Dutch didn't know what to do with him. Right. And uh, they threw him a gun and he just let it fall on the ground. And they said, well, you've got to take it. He said, no. He said, I'm a non-combatant. Mm-hmm. And so instead of only serving 18 months, they made him serve three years mm-hmm. as a non-combatant and gave him all the worst jobs in the world until eventually he ended up in their dairy, okay. herd producing milk for the troops. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then at the end of the three years, they asked him to stay because he was such a good worker. <laughs> <laughs> and so at first they didn't want him and now they didn't want to lose him. Yeah. However, it had further consequences and that is that when my dad and mum came to Australia, they wanted to take the whole family, including right. my uncle yeah. and his wife and his children, and when they applied to become... Uh, to travel to Australia, and they needed a permit to come to Australia as immigrants, the Australian government would not accept them because he had been a non-combatant.
0: Is that so?
5: And so there are ongoing consequences for what happened at that time. Wow, yeah. that so yeah, making a stand for yeah. what
0: you believe in yeah. um, from a Christian perspective was um, it carried a heavy price.
5: Absolutely. Did your uncle ever make it to Australia? He came for a visit, right, uh, with his wife. And they'd been here two days when she broke a leg okay. and uh, she needed a hip replacement. So <laughs> their memories of Australia are not real happy ones. Yeah.
3: And <laughs> they couldn't so understand
5: great. why our sheep were not white and why the grass wasn't green. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and she said, in Australia, you have gum trees, gum trees everywhere. <laughs> so she loved the gum trees.
0: Oh, hmm. Fantastic. Now, your father, what, he, he was working in a mental hospital. Was he involved in anything else during the Second World
2: War?
5: Yeah, Later on, toward the middle of the war, Mm -hmm. uh, he came back and he became an upholsterer Mm -hmm. and went into business with another person. And um, he had his workshop about two kilometres away from where the house was. But my dad was a bit of a naughty boy and he had an illegal radio that you were not allowed to own any kind of radios because people in Holland were listening to the bbc news from england yeah yeah and so my dad was listening to the bbc news
0: so how was he able to hide this
5: radio well (laughs) you can hide a radio in your house however somehow the news got out and the neighbor over the road said to my father look Everett," he said you have got a radio in your house and we know about it and if the germans come they'll shoot you and, uh, and your wife and children. Yeah. And so uh, he said, do something so that if they do come, it won't be there. Yeah. And that's when I became a smuggler.
0: And how old were you when you became a smuggler?
5: Oh, I would have been about one and a half, <laughs> a baby with a big smile <laughs> on his face. And my dad put the radio in the pram. Right. And then put things over it and then, of course, sat me on the top and I was the innocent person looking at the German soldiers, doing my all the inspections terrible. and so on. And fortunately, they didn't bother to look under where I was sitting.
0: So they did actually come through and check?
5: Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, and then my dad took uh, the radio to the workshop. And he had it for the rest of the war. Mm-hmm. And so they knew, you know, what the troops and everything were doing mm-hmm. because the Americans and the um, the British, they had planned... To liberate Holland, mm-hmm. and it was the, that task was given to the Canadians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when the Canadians came and encircled the city, the German soldiers that were there, they had been left an opening to go back to Germany, but they were not prepared to go back to Germany because they would have been shot as traitors in their own country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they, those poor men, had no choice mm-hmm. because it was death fighting or death. At yep. home yep. And they didn't want the shame So they stayed and fought mm. And it blew the centre out of our city And I remember that as a kid the, the, the fires that were burning inside the city And my dad got so afraid That he went, open the door of the house at night To have a look out To see what was going on mm-hmm. And he saw a German um, Gun with a bayonet on the end of it Coming toward him and he closed the door. And fortunately, you know, the soldiers didn't insist on. Mm-hmm. And uh, they knew that the that, that the, uh, the population were just so afraid. Yeah. But yeah. I distinctly remember that. And, of course, going through the ruins afterwards when I started going to school and so because it took a long time to fix up that city. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, Yeah. I'm a smuggler and a uh, and a survivor. <laughs> <laughs> there you go at
0: a young age. Now, why was it why was it so important to have a radio that the Dutch were prepared to risk their lives um over something as you know, we would think oh that's just a radio, it's something so simple, you know.
5: Well, there are people that are a bit more adventurous and the cosmos <laughs> those who know us know that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, enough that, said. That, I do know the isn't. That. that. When you're with us, things yeah. happen. Sure. But we don't let sure. grass grow, grow under our feet. And my dad was like that. Yeah. and yep.
0: uh, He was someone who wanted to know what was yeah, happening in the world. In,
5: in fact, <laughs> one of the things that caught up with the Dutch people was hunger. Right. And we grew food, but it was all taken... To Germany and to the soldiers of the war, and so on. So, you were left with very little. Mm-hmm. And they would go to the fields on push bikes, turn their push bikes upside down, and have a bag with them. And they would get the grain from the field, swing the back wheel with the pedals. All right, yeah, yeah. Right, and then put the heads of the grain into the back wheel and the uh, the spokes. Would actually harvest the grain and that would then be put into a sack. And so that's the way quite a lot of the Dutch survived by just, you know, harvesting mm-hmm. from the fields and using their push bikes as uh, harvesting machines. Mm-hmm. But my dad's situation became so desperate that he said to my mother, he said, I will not come back until I have found food for the rest of the war. And so my dad went out and he eventually found a farmer. Mm -hmm. And that farmer had a daughter who wanted to get married. Mm -hmm. And he said to my dad, he said, you're an upholsterer. He said, I want a lounge suite for my daughter for her wedding. Mm -hmm. Well, where was dad going to get stuff from for a a lounge suite? And so he managed to do that by going into the warehouse at night where the Germans had confiscated everything they could lay their hands on, put it in a big shed, and then they would send it by canal over to Germany. Mm -hmm. And amongst that were rolls of material. And my dad managed to find some Czechoslovakian uncut moquette and he made this magnificent lounge suite for this farmer's daughter. And the farmer said to him, what can I pay you? And he said, you... Supply us with food for the rest of the war. Mm-hmm. And that's how my mum and dad
0: survived the survived survived the, war,
5: the uh, war. Without starving. Yeah, and so, you know, when you have experiences like that, that they stay with you. Yeah, absolutely. Very much so.
0: Now, my uh, obviously, a very devout Christian family, how important was your family's faith um, to their survival of the war and to their outlook of, you know, what was happening?
5: The questions arise, you know, why is it that there's war in the first place Mm. and other people are without hope? Yeah. But because you're a Christian, you say war is part of living Mm -hmm. in a world where there's sin Mm -hmm. and we just wait for Jesus to come. Sure. And so it's their faith that gives them a level of happiness and joy under those conditions and certainty for the future that certainty. others do not have. Yeah.
0: And a light at the end of the tunnel.
5: It is the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, it's not at the end of the tunnel. The light is there all the time. <laughs> yeah,
0: right there, right standing beside right you. It's not the, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how you describe it. And
5: you it. make provisions and you do all kinds of things to survive. Mm. But underneath it all are the everlasting arms. Mm. That's yeah. what God said. You yeah. know, through those difficult times, I will support you. And He did. Mm-hmm. And as a result, all of our family survived. All of your family? All of our family survived. A fantastic story. Yeah, and yeah. so God. God to us, under those circumstances, were very good.
0: Mm. Now, uh, at that particular time, was Holland considered a Christian nation?
5: Very much so.
0: Right. So oh, yes. Quite different from today.
5: Uh, quite different from today. Secularisation has taken over Europe mm-hmm. at all levels. Yeah. And uh, in fact, a lot of people don't know, but it was Napoleon. Who looked at Europe as a whole Mm -hmm. and wherever he went, he said that um, uh, instead of measuring the distances between the churches as the distances between the towns in Australia is between post offices, Mm -hmm. but in Europe it's now between the banks. Right. And so secularisation has taken over yeah. from the church and religion yeah, and to the detriment of Europe.
0: Yeah. John, it has been fantastic having you here on our uh, Faith Heaven Breakfast show as a part of our Anzac Day uh, Memorial. Thank you so much for sharing your memories of living in Holland during the Second World War.
6: <music> oh Lord, my God And I, in awesome wonder Consider all The worlds thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe displayed then sings my soul my Savior So Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation, and take me home, what joy shall fill my Yeah. ¡Ah!